Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino. Today I have with me uh, a longtime instructor of ours. Happy to have him really doing some great work in the world. Some stuff that's really not on the map for law enforcement, believe it or not, but we're trying to bring it to the forefront of the importance of it. It's human trafficking. And we have with us today, instructor Tom Stack. Tom will give you his 30 to 40 second bio of who he is and what qualifies him in human trafficking. Uh, but brother, thanks for being here. This is the second time Tom's on the podcast and certainly not gonna be the last time. Uh, so give us your bio, Mr. Stack. Sure, Dennis. Thanks. Uh, thanks again for having me. It's always a good time to sit and chat with you and uh, and get some good information out there because there's a lot of really great information that like, like you, you hit the nail on the head. It's like a lot of people don't know what human trafficking is. I, I do these classes and then people are like, oh man, I've seen that shit. And I just didn't know what it was. Um, but I, I started uh, my law enforcement career back in 1988. Um, I actually was a correctional officer for about a year and a half. I think you and I got that in common. Um, and uh, so I did that for about a year and a half. Then I became a cop. I did six years in patrol. I did six years in a uh, plainclothes street crimes unit, doing everything from robbery, surveillances, to drugs, to burglaries. I mean, you name it, we did it. Um, and then from there, I went into um, our vice and intelligence section, which um, handles our um, our prostitution. It was prostitution enforcement. Um, that was back in 2000. No one ever heard the word human trafficking. I mean, it was not on the map. To me, it wasn't for sure. Um, I was pretty naive to it. To me, it was just prostitution and let's just go lock up the lock them up. And if I got a pimp in the process, then hey man, that was collateral damage. That's you know, the more the merrier. The more clicks you got, the better. Um, and then I really started to um hear about human trafficking, didn't know, you know, so I gotta find out more about this. And I started, you know, went to a couple of classes, went to a couple of conferences, um, and then I really started to see it during the course of my investigations. Um, I started looking at prostitution through a different lens. Um, and, you know, you then you really think and you realize that nobody wants to be a prostitute. Nobody ever aspired to be a prostitute. Um, you know, I always, you know, during my class, I even said, I show this little video of all these kids, like what would they be when they grow up? A, a, you know, an astronaut, a TV producer, a doctor, a lawyer. Nobody, I don't, there was not one person that said, oh, I want to be a hooker. Um, so it's, you know, they just, it's, it's something that they become victims of circumstance or victims of exploitation. And in a way, I, I mean, a lot of these girls who are out there who are set do, are doing sex work are, are narcotics are, are addicted to opioids. So they're actually being trafficked by their drug habit. Um, it's not so much a person, um, but that it's the exploitation that we look at. That's that, that are traffickers that are forcing these girls to, com to commit these sex acts. And then there's also labor trafficking, which we don't really. We touch on briefly during the class, but it's primarily geared towards sex trafficking because that's it's really what you're going to see out there is uh, there's a lot of sex trafficking, but there is also labor trafficking, but it's much more difficult to find. So, you know, that's something maybe down the road we we, we kind of expand this this class to to look at labor trafficking as well. You know, one thing I'm going to say is just to dial it back a little. We talked about these people who are addicted to opioids, and that's fueling them going out and being prostitutes in the sex uh, business, you know, and, and, and it's easy to put a label on these people, but when you start to humanize and understand people who are addicted to opioids, and I think it takes some time in the field to understand, have some compassion. Generally, what a lot of people don't realize is once you get these people back to your police department and you're going through processing, especially for a patrol officer, you get to hear the story of why or how somebody became addicted to opioids. 
And I want to emphasize to everybody in here, listen, open your ears. When you're bringing people back to the police department, these people, these opioid addicted people will always open up and explain everything to you. I had a girl one time and I, I know her name. I remember it. And she was constantly in trouble. You know, she came up on the, on, on the radar for us nonstop out of nowhere. And this happens sometimes. She's got this name. It's floating around the police department. Everybody knows who she is. And I said to her one time, I'm like, hey, do you ever think about like, you know, trying to get help? She was being processed. And she told me a story how she was 13 years old and her stepfather injected her with heroin when she was 13. So she was in eighth grade and the, the stepfather had injected her against her will with heroin to get her high. And she said, from that point forward, I was addicted. So when we think about these people, we are so quick to cast judgment against them. But imagine being that girl trying to now fight. She was like 18, 19 years of age, now being charged as an adult with all these hair. She's always caught up in these heroin uh, busts that we're doing. She's always there. Right. And she told me, I mean, she wasn't a bad person. She's like, I am addicted since I'm 13 years of age and I can't get off the stuff. So coming from a background like that, we have to have compassion of why somebody might be uh, a, a prostitute on, I don't know what websites they're using now. Uh, but on a website where they're trying to promote and sell themselves, support this habit. Let's go a little bit deeper into how did they end up here? And I think if you really dug into that, you'd find yourself having a lot of compassion. I'm not saying it makes it legal. I'm not saying, but maybe it just humanizes a little more of how did they end up here? There's another human being. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, we're seeing a lot of cases, um, you know, you know, one of the elements of human trafficking is, is you know, is force, you know, either force, fraud or coercion to be, you know, enticed, compelled into commercial sex. And that force and one of the one of the elements of that force is we're seeing a lot lately are forced drug use. Um, exactly what you just described. You know, we have um, pimps and traffickers are out there who are finding girls who are addicted to opioids or addicting them, like in your case, and you know, forcing them. And then once they do it, like go out and turn those tricks. And you'll get your dope. You know, these girls will go out and do basically anything to get that dope, that you get that dope. Um, but I found, um, you know, with um, with folks who are addicted to heroin, whether they're out boosting or they're doing whatever, whatever, whatever scam they're doing to get their money to go buy dope. Um, when you have them in custody, they will tell you everything, everything they will sell their mother out because all they want to do is they want to get out so they can get to that next high. Um, so. Usually it's a one-time shot when you're with those folks. I mean, it's not, it's not just human trafficking, um, but it's like any crime, they'll tell you everything about everybody just so they can get out, 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 out back out on the street thinking, you know, if they tell you that they're going to, you know, information that they're going to get out. So um, I always found it was interesting, but it was always a one-time, one-time deal because those guys are gone after that. But now Tom's been teaching for, I don't know, how long have you been with us now, Tom? I don't want to say. Uh, it's been a year. I was going to say a year. I didn't want to say it's all too short because it feels like forever. Because when you become an instructor at this company, we're all like a family. Uh, we see each other. It's like, the you know, we're cops, too. So it feels very natural for all of us, no matter where you're from. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to say that the instructors associated with this company are probably a cut above the rest when I as far as humanity is concerned. I mean, these are people who have figured out on a higher level of how to, you know, behave and, and be the example for law enforcement. So Tom's certainly an example from law enforcement. Uh, so you've been teaching a lot of classes. I know you've had some success recently. Last night, you texted me because we were coming on this podcast today and you had mentioned the story you wanted to bring up on the podcast. So, you know, let us know how, you know, when did that person take the class and what did they run into? Yeah, it, it was, it's really cool. It's one of the things that's special about Street Cop because it's not just you take my class and I'll never see you again. It's you take my class and, and, and now you have a connection and you have a mentor, you have someone that you can lean on and talk to. And, 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 I, and I talk to these guys all the time. 
So I got a text message. I was yesterday. I was sitting out having a beer by my pool, enjoying a nice uh, 80 degree day in Maryland, which is very rare in April. Uh, and so, you know, and uh, and this guy introduced himself. Hey, he said, Hey, I took your pot. I took your on demand class, and then my contact information was in there. And he texted me. He goes, Do you have some time? I want to run something by you. And I get hit up a lot on Facebook, and and, um, and I know other instructors do as well. Um, and get hit and, and and bounced off off me. So, you know, this 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 guy was from a small department in Indiana, um, and he hit me up and said, "Hey, I took your class, and and I have this thing, and and he suspects his labor trafficking, not even sex trafficking, but labor trafficking." What the cool part is is because we didn't even cover what he's talking about in 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 the class, but he saw the exploitation. He saw that there was something going on that these folks in this house were being possibly forced to work in this comp for this company cleaning up factories um and there was a bunch of people living in a small like trailer and it's like he just didn't he goes i just didn't look at it you know it's it, there's something not right here something's going on here that you know that um that's not right and, and he's like listen before your class i would have walked in there and said man these guys have some shitty living conditions and walked right out the door and never thought twice about it um, so I talked to him about it and told him a couple of things that it may be or might be. And, um, and I asked him, you know, I'm going to hook him up with some connections today um, from for some uh, HSI uh, folks that work human trafficking in that area. I'll make the I got connections here in Maryland. We can find connections out there. You know, that's the that's the beauty of Street Cop is because it is a family. It's I mean, I see it on the Facebook page all the time. Like, hey, does anybody know somebody here? Anybody know somebody? It's you know, that's the long arm of the law and that's that network. And so I think it's, I think it's awesome that he reached out to me and I'll bend over backwards to do whatever I can to help him out and give him any advice. And, you know, and, and that's just not a one-time thing. I mean, it happens all the time. I, I know Nick Sherman um, is a good friend of mine. Him and I talk all the time. He tells me about all the stuff that he's doing. Him, you know, bounce, We bounce off, off, off each other and we help each other out and help other people out as well. I know we've talked about the sex trafficking a little bit, I think it's a good lead in to talk about labor trafficking, some of the signs of labor trafficking and what it means and how it happens. So let's start with how does it happen? How does somebody find themselves falling into a labor trafficking situation as a human being? Well, one of the one of the things is because, uh, you know, you hear me talk about force, fraud or coercion. Um, those are those are one of you to have to have one of those three elements um, to have a human trafficking. If not, you know, if it's just if it's in sex trafficking, it's, it's just prostitution. But the minute you in, you in put in force, fraud, or coercion, or if that person's under the age of 18, engaged in commercial sex, that's when you have uh, human trafficking. On the labor side, there's no under the age of 18. So you have to have that force, fraud, or coercion. So it's compelling somebody through force, fraud, or coercion to conduct labor for, for little or no uh, you know, compensation. Uh, a lot of times they, they will, uh, traffickers will exploit um, someone's uh, documents, you know, whether they're undocumented. A lot of uh, human trafficking victims are from foreign countries. Labor trafficking victims are from foreign countries, especially, you know, uh, folks that are, who are undocumented coming from the, you know, come across the southern border. They come here or they come here under, under false promises and false pretenses like, hey, come here. You're going to work as, a, as my nanny. You know, and, you know, you can watch my kids. Um, yeah, that's a big one. Or or forced labor. You, you, you see those folks who get picked up at like the Home Depot. There's like, you know, a bunch of Latinos hanging out by the undocumented Latinos hanging out at like a Home Depot. A pickup truck pulls up and says, hey, I need I need five workers to go build a deck, you know, and they pop, 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 pop. They all pop in, you know, and then they're like, hey, 
um, you know, you know, you're going to keep doing this for me. Um, if you don't, I'm calling ice and I'm going to deport your ass. Uh, and so that's, then they're like, now I'm, now I'm trapped. You know, they feel trapped. Um, a big one is debt bondage, uh, especially in the, in the Asian community with the massage parlors and the, um, nail salons. Um, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm, you know, to come to America, you know, it's going to cost you $10,000. You pay 10, you know, it was like, okay, I'll, I don't have that. It's like, okay, well then you, when you get there, you'll work it off. And they're like, they agree to it. So next thing you know, boom, they come in through Canada, they come into the United States. Um, they're like, okay, what do I need to do to work it off? Well, you're going to work in this massage parlor. Um, and then all the money you make comes to me. And then when you make enough money, you pay your debt off. You can, you can keep your own money. But the interest on that is so incredibly high that they never pay, they never pay it off. I mean, next, you know, they're trapped, you know, giving guy, you know, guys hand jobs and having sex with these guys um, for years upon years and years and making way over the $10,000 that they, that they originally had to pay. And, you know, the boom, they're stuck. And, uh, you know, then they're, and they're, they're trapped in it. And what are, what are they afraid of, of like, are they just unfamiliar with the laws here? Afraid to go to the police. They think they're going to get deported back to their country. Well, there's different forms of coercion. Um, a lot with the in the Latino brothels that we, that we that we talk about in the class is um, is they they threaten them like if you don't do it, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you or I'm gonna kill your family. You know, we had a girl that we we recovered when I was back on the department, and she was literally she lived in a small village in Mexico. This guy rolls into town, nice clothes, nice hair. Yeah, I remember this story from the last one. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, next thing you know, he's got her back in the United States and she's, you know, prostituting. And he says, you know, she's like, I don't want to do it anymore. He goes, well, if you don't, I'm going to kill your family. You know, I'll go down to Mexico and kill your family. You saw how easy I got in and out of the country. I'll just do it again. And so she, she actually worked for him under that, under that, that coercion. When you say that uh, somebody maybe led into a house to be the nanny of the children, uh, you're saying in addition to that, being then forced to stay and stay in labor. Right. And we saw that, especially um, in my old police department in, in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is just outside Washington, D.C. We have an area called Potomac in Bethesda, like very one of the most affluent areas in the country. And um, and we have a lot of diplomats that live in our county that work in D.C. Um, and especially it was really, really notorious amongst the West African countries that they will go over and say, hey, you'll go find somebody over there, like, you know, someone's maybe like 17, 18, 19 years old, and say, hey, do you want to come back with me to the United States? You can go to school there. They got the best schools in the world. You come there, and all you got to do is you can cook and clean for me. You know, I'll, you know, I'll pay you this amount of money, um, and then you can go to school. You go to the best schools, and they're bringing these people over there, and they're putting them in these houses, and they're like, you know what? You're not going to go to school. Um, but you are going to work. You're going to work for me from six in the morning to 11 at night. You're going to, you're going to cook, you're going to clean. You, I want the house spotless. You're going to watch my kids. You're going to make them lunch. You're going to take them to, you know, um, get them on the school bus, um, you know, do whatever. Um, a lot of times it's not even, they're not even allowed to go outside. Wow. And so these folks are like, and, and then basically they said, well, if you don't do what you're told to do, um, I'm going to, I'm going to notify, I'm going to call your family and let them know that you're not, you're misbehaving. And I'm also going to have, um, you deported and you'll never be able to come back to the United States again. And so they're like trapped and who do they call for help? They, it's not like they don't have phones. They take their phone from them. Um, and how's, how do we as law enforcement find these folks? 
you just don't you, you just don't see them. Um, how do people how do how do how do some of these cases get caught? I mean, how do we catch some of these cases? Sometimes they get enough of it and they 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 flag down a neighbor or a lot of times that the one thing they will let them do is go to church. Um, and so church is really their only outside exposure to the real to the world. Um, and so sometimes they'll reach out. A lot of times they'll never get they never get um, you know recognized. Uh, you know, and the and a lot of these, especially these women, are, are sexually assaulted by the by the, the father figure or the or the male figures in the house will sexually assault these 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 women, um, and they just that's just part of life. Wow, what are what are some signs of it? Like if you were having come across as a regular Joe citizen or even as a law enforcement officer, what would you look for? What are some signs of somebody who's who's in in that situation, like some kind of labor issue? And, and that and that type of situation is um, not allowed to speak for themselves. Um, You'll, there'll be a third party there, especially if somebody gets, especially if they got hurt and you went to the hospital. And then so you go to the hospital and to interview them. And because I teach a lot, like in my regular job in Baltimore City, I teach a lot of nurses and, and ER and firefighters still on the signs of human trafficking because they see them all the time. You know, these guys get hurt on the job. They get, you know, busted up on the job and, and they got to go. Um, but if they're not allowed to speak for themselves um, and where's your ID? Uh, well, my boss has my ID. My boss is holding my my uh, my passport. What the hell? You know, that's just not normal. Um, so that- are, I mean, it's like it's, it's wild to think that this stuff exists. and We live in our own delusional little perfect worlds as, as American oh, yeah. citizens. It's fucking wild to think about that. Yeah. So those are those are two of the big signs. You know, and then, you know, obviously some of the beatings, if someone's being beaten um, and, and bruises, you know, you might see a fresh bruise. Um, you know, and someone says, Oh, how'd that happen? Oh, I fell down the stairs. Okay. Well, but then you have another bruise up on your arm, but, and that looked like it's about a week and a half old. You know, you can see the bruises, how they, in various, various stages of healing. Um, that's a huge indicator of, of signs of abuse, chronic abuse. You have a fresh one, you have, you know, one looks like about a week old. You have another one on the other arm looks like it's, you know, almost completely healed. Um, so that's, those are, those are big signs as well. Um, as far as, you know, as for the labor trafficking, Labor trafficking, you're not going to see the tattoos. You're not going to have a boyfriend that's significantly older. That's that's another sign. Um, you're not, you know, there's no terminology in labor trafficking. Um, but but the big one I would say is is that, that third party person speaking for themselves and them not having any um, identification. There's, are there more labor cases than there are sexual cases? You know, there's some statistics out there, Dennis, that say that um, that there's. It's about the same and maybe wow. more labor trafficking um, because you have a lot more men involved in labor trafficking, you know, where sex trafficking is predominantly women, even though there are men and there's a lot of gender as well. Um, but in labor trafficking, you have a higher number of men uh, in there, you know, and, you know, some places you find labor trafficking or construction sites, um, you know, like, like we talked about, like that in, in indentured servitude, like in the house um, as a nanny or you have massage parlors, you have hair braiding, uh, the African hair braiding salons, you have sweatshops, you have hotel industry, restaurants, um, like construction sites, agriculture, especially crops that need to be picked by hand. A can of machine can't come in there and, you know, they'll bust all the tomatoes up, you know. So uh, um, tell them I said hi, too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, tomatoes, so they, they need to be handpicked. So you need you need you need manpower to do that. Um, you'll see it there, um, especially here in Maryland. We have the uh, the crab picking, 
Um, you know, we have a huge, you know, each, on the Eastern Shore of Maryland, we have all the crab picking in, in industry. Um, you have that. Another one you don't think about are, are these magazine subs, um, subscription crews. You know, you see a white van drop off a bunch of kids. They fan out in the neighborhood selling magazines or candy bars or any kind of bullshit like that. Um, you know, there's there's human trafficking in that. Uh, a, a guy I know that's um, worked for GBI, uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigation. He just did a huge labor trafficking case out of Atlanta where these guys were going out and they, uh, that's what they were doing. They were going out selling shit, you know, whether it's magazines or candy bars. You know, I was like, you know, I used to see them all the time over by Camden Yards, go to the Orioles game. And, you know, it's like, hey, I'm getting, new, you know, can you buy a candy bar for my new sports, my sports team's getting new jerseys. You know, bullshit. Wow. You know, I mean, you know, all that money goes right to the guy who forcing these kids out there with all wow. promises and, and, and stuff like that. So are the courts taking these labor cases seriously? I'm sorry. Are the courts taking these labor cases seriously when we uncover human trafficking labor? Absolutely. Uh, if, if you can find one, they're just so damn hard to find and they're really, really difficult um, to, to prosecute as well. What is the proactive way we can try to find those things? Just got to have your eyes and ears open. You know, when you're out there doing these, doing these, you know, you're out on patrol, you know, just seeing things, you know, um, you know, just and talking to the people, talking to the folks and just and being aware of stuff. Like if you go on a construction site and you ask somebody for their ID, like, you know, well, my boss has it. That's a red flag. You know, that's like, why the hell does your boss have your ID? And that's just not normal. I mean, I don't get what a- do we do when we come across. It's like, who do we contact as law enforcement? Well, HSI is a really good um, is a really good agency, federal agency that works labor trafficking cases. Okay, so these cases can be federal cases. So, the big thing is is to check and see in your state whether you have a labor trafficking law on the books. Maryland, we just got ours like a year and a half ago. You know, so like b- before, it used to be under the extortion laws. It was there. No one knew it was there. I knew it was there because I was doing those cases, um, but. Most of those cases are going to go federal. So I would definitely reach out um, and make a good contact with your uh, Homeland Security Investigations on agents that work human trafficking cases. Uh, and they do, they, they do labor trafficking cases, sweatshop cases, you know, because there's a lot. They're very labor intensive investigations. They're not they're not quick hitters. Well, you said before that there are men's sex trafficking victims, too. Tell me about that. Yeah, mostly they're younger boys. Um, I know in Baltimore, there's an area that they call the meat market, you know, you know, where, where um, guys will go look for guys um, and, you know, they'll be out there on the street, um, you know, and once once somebody's forced to do it through either forced water coercion, you know, like if you don't do it, I'm going to beat the shit out of you um, or you're going to get your ass kicked or, you know, or I'm going to tell I'm going to go tell your family that you're gay and you're out here doing this. Um that's that's where it becomes human trafficking, you know. So if it's just say, say if it's like a a, a nineteen year old kid guy out there on the street and he's selling sex, um, and he's doing it on his own to make whatever money he needs to make, that's not human trafficking. It's just straight up prostitution. But if that same person's seventeen and does it, and now it's human trafficking because you're under the age of eighteen. Jesus Christ, I. I- it's, I ask that because I've never even put thought into <clears throat> that being a thing. Usually when we talk about sex trafficking, we're thinking about women right away. Right. Well, the, and how many, how many, how many of these people do you think are minors? Well, uh, uh, the national center for missing exploited children, um, that's, they're probably the, 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 the foremost authority on, on sexual exploitation, child exploitation in the country. 
They're also the national clearinghouse for missing children uh, in the country. And they have a huge uh, human trafficking or sex trafficking unit, child sex trafficking unit there. Um, and so they put a statistic out in 2020 uh, of the 26,500 reported missing children to NICMIC. Uh, they, they estimated one in six were likely victims of child sex trafficking. Wow. And how do they, that, that's, that's just because they get let out on the internet, things like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They, I mean, they have, I'm not sure how they come up with that number um, of all the statistics that are out. There's a lot of bullshit stats out there on human trafficking and I don't use a lot of them because there's no you measure it, right? You, you, you can't measure. It's impossible. If you can tell me how many human trafficking victims there are in the United States, then you can probably win the lottery every single week. Um, and it just is impossible to know. Um, but NICMIC does a lot of research. They, they have, they have the, uh, you know, the experts there. Um, so one in six. So if you think if you did the math in your jurisdiction in Baltimore, it's, it's somewhere around between 200 and 250, you know, that's likely child sexuality victims. That's just outrageous. Um, a lot of times I'll do a Facebook post, of like if I'm going somewhere, um, like I went out to Ohio to do a class near Columbus, uh, Reynoldsburg, Ohio, and um, I went on their I went on their website and found out how many missing children they had last year. And I was like, hey, you got this many suspected cases, you know, of you know, child sex trafficking. So they're out there. Kids are out. Kids are out there. And, you know, unfortunately, it's fueled by these assholes who are purchasing sex um, and, you know, and just fueling the problem. You know, it's interesting, Tom, is I'm often a big critic of basic police training um, because I just don't think that we do a good job for our recruits and getting the training that they deserve and need. Matter of fact, if I thought there was good training, I probably wouldn't run a training company. And yeah. there's a there's a major priority to uh, human trafficking. And I don't know if I told you this, but I had a girl reach out to me. Uh, I don't know, maybe maybe two months ago at this point now. And she sent me an email. She said, I'm writing college paper on human sex trafficking. I found you and your information. It seems like you're on the ball with a lot of things. I am writing a paper on what police are doing for human trafficking and, and what cops in the field know about human trafficking. And I, in my mind, I like laughed out of like just the sadness of the state of affairs of where the training is on this. And you can't, I'm not sitting here self-criticizing us. We're actually doing something. You've teamed up with me. I've teamed up with you. I consider this to be a priority. It is wild and flabbergasting. And the cat is out of the bag. Cops don't even know what to do. And I find it just so ironic. And I wanted to tell her this, that you can go to academy and they'll teach you how to swing a stick at a bag and yell, get back for 20, 25 hours but they will not teach you how to rescue or the signs of somebody who is a victim of human trafficking, you know, the insanity. So I wanted to write back to her, like, what do cops know about how to intervene with human trafficking? Fucking nothing. They don't know anything. Right. But I got to tell you, they get, they get 14 hours of how to write tickets because that's what's important. Right. And that's the irony of it. And when I say these things publicly, people are like, Oh, well, when is the conversation going to begin? You know, when are we going to start getting, you know, what's your thoughts on that? No, you're, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, in Maryland, um, when I retired, I worked for the governor's office for a couple of years. And one of the things, pieces of legislation I helped push through was was human trafficking training for law enforcement. So in Maryland, it's mandatory that you must have human trafficking training Great. every three years. Um, and then and then at the entrance level, you have to have it's mandated by the police training commission here in Maryland. But unfortunately, 
it's whatever they want to do. It's like, you just got to check the box. And, you know, so what they'll do is they'll come up with a, with a human trafficking video. And I mean, who knows if it's good or not, you know, and you know how, you know how sometimes cops train, you know, if they give you a video, like on our old, our old unit, they would, you know, we get these mandatory videos. Okay, Dennis, you got gun safety. I'll take human trafficking and then we'll swap answers. You know, it's like they're not getting the good quality training that they need. And, you know, human trafficking is one of those things. That it's It's been here forever. It's been here since the beginning of time. You know, it's been here since beginning of man. Um, now it actually has a name and works knowing what it is. I mean, trust me, I didn't know what it was when I first came a cop. And, you know, I had to teach myself and, and go to classes. And and now I, I share that knowledge of what I learned about it and, and how I changed my mindset when I looked at prostitution and I looked at these girls that were being victimized and realized that, you know, they need some help. Um, but, you know, the law enforcement training, you know, we're doing it a lot of it in, in here in Maryland, um, you know, not only, you know, through training, but uh, we have a couple other conferences and stuff like that we do for human trafficking. But for most places, they don't have nothing. I mean, they're not getting it. It's not mandated. You know, it's like, you know, I, I mean, it's just really, it's interesting. A lot of people who take my class want to take my class, but I did take, I did have some guys that were forced to come to my class. And, you know, the, you know, you can tell them you sit there sitting back there like this, beginning thing, yeah. sitting like this towards the end, because I opened their mind and I opened, you know, and these guys come up to me all the time and say, man, I've seen it. I just didn't know what the hell it was. Mm. Well, you do. And so now you can take advantage of the tools I put in your toolbox and go out there and do some work. And, you know, and I always say, you know, you're saving a life in a different way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's really the, uh, the you leave someone in that situation, they will end up dead. It's just a matter. Of, it's just a matter of time. And you well, know, we talk about some of the impact of the decisions we make as trainers to come out and do the work and, and against adversity. And we're, we're subject to it all the time. Um, again, we have to ignore the noise and focus on what's important. We have to get to these root issues to make things better, making better things to make things better. This is one of those topics where we talk about what kind of impact are you having on the world? with your law enforcement time, energy, and effort. This is one of those things. I mean, if you really spent your career foregoing writing tickets and going out and trying to disrupt somebody who's being trafficked, you're talking about saving somebody's life. So when we talk about impact, this is probably one of the most impactful things because all it takes is, the, is to work one time. Absolutely. You know, um, so once you have this impact, what can we do for these victims? Like, let's say we rescue them, What's the next step for them? Like, what? where does it go from here? So the, the, the most important thing to do is you have to realize that these victims don't even realize they're victims. Okay, so you're, you're, you're going up and talking to somebody that you see that they are being exploited. You see it. But to them, that's just the way life is. That's the way this is the way it's supposed to be. This is my daddy. That's my boyfriend. He's taking care of me. He, he loves me. Um, yeah, but he's forcing you to go out and make a thousand dollars having sex with 10, 15 guys a day. Um, and he beats you if you don't. And, but, you know, but they think that's just the way it is. And wow. so the most important thing is, is to know our role. Our role as law enforcement is to go out and find these, these, these victims of trafficking, these survivors of trafficking to make cases, make sure that the trafficker is, is investigated. Because if you take a, a girl away from a trafficker and don't, take the trafficker out of the scene, he's just going to go exploit somebody else. 
because that's what he does. And so if like, you know, sometimes it's good, but if you can't make the case, you can't make the case, but you want to get the trafficker out. But the most important thing is to get them into services because there are people out there, there are service providers out there who are trained on how to deal with these girls. A human trafficking victim is the most unique victim that you will ever deal with ever in law enforcement. I mean, they are, they are in a different world when it comes to being a victim. Um, you know, you, you have a victim that's probably going to be uncooperative, um, is going to lie to you, um, has got a, a laundry list of needs like a million miles long. And, it's, you know, it's not like a victim of a, of a burglary or a victim of a, even an, an assault, um, you know, like who are pissed off and they want to they, they want justice done. Sometimes you have a victim that's not cooperative with you. Uh, and, you know, I always I, I say this during our during the classes is what we are doing as law enforcement is we're planting the seed um, that we're here to help um, because we're already uh, fighting uphill battle as, as cops because the trafficker does nothing but tells the, the, the victim, the girl or the boy, don't trust the cops. Don't trust the cop. The cops, all they want to do is lock you up. They're going to have sex with you and they're going to lock you up. You know, they're going to change, you know, it's like, go to lock you up. You know, this, uh, they're going to treat you like shit. And be honest with you, that's pretty much what we do. Um, for years and years and years, I did it. Guilty. I, I did it. I did exactly what the trafficker said I was going to do. I went in there, locked their asses up before I knew what human trafficking was, you know, and, uh, and but I, you got to change that mindset. And let them know that you could give a shit about prostitution. You know, you could give a shit about locking them up, you know, but, but if you're being exploited and you need help, if you're in a situation that you just don't want to be in and you want to get out, I can help you. And so that, that does two things. It, it, one, it changes the mindset of the way they perceive law enforcement It's like, you know what? They're actually, that guy was actually pretty damn cool. He was good. He was cool as shit. And, you know, and, Maybe I can get some help. But the thing is, you're planting that seed that there is somebody out here who cares about me and it, that if I need out, I can get out. You'll see 100 girls. And, I, and this is this is what I used to see all the time is you'll have 100 girls that you'll offer help to. Um, of those 100, you might get three to say, yeah, I'm ready. But you can't get frustrated. You can't be like, oh, damn, it, I got not failed again. No, you didn't fail. You absolutely didn't fail. You should never look at it like that because what you did is you planted a seed in their head that, you know what? There's somebody out there who does care about me. And there is something like there is another way for me in my life if when I'm ready to get out. And when they are ready to get out, they'll come. They'll come to you or they'll come to somebody else. I said, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Right. Everyone's always, we've always heard that little saying. But eventually that damn horse is going to get thirsty. Right. And when it gets thirsty, that's when we have water. You don't know where to go. Right. They'll know where to go. Um, and, the, and these girls are a wealth of knowledge, too. And, you know, and if you treat them with respect and, and don't treat them like an asshole, um, you know, it's, it, it might lead to something else. Uh-huh. It might lead to something else. So it can be very frustrating. And it can take years for a girl to get to, to a, a place in their life where they can actually raise a family, have a job, um, you know, and, you know, cause it, it's a long, it's a long trek and the exploitation and basically the, all the years of exploitation 
that dates all the way back to when they were kids and sexually abused as kids, because 90, 95% of every sex worker I've ever spoken to was abused as a kid, whether they were raped or sexually touched by their stepdad or uncle or whoever the hell it was in their life that did abuse them. Um, you're untangling all that. Um, and we can't do it. We know our role. Our role is to hand them off to somebody who can handle them and take care of them and watch your victim. Because not only is your, she's your victim, she's also your witness and your evidence in your case. Um, and a lot of times they're going to abscond. They're going to be gone. They're never going to come to court. They're going to tell you to fuck off and see ya. I mean, you know, that's why you build those cases as strong as you can. You still don't let it discourage you is what you're saying, right? Right. You can't get discouraged because if you, you know, you can't, you know, because you plant that seed and it might, she might not even come back to you. She might come back to somebody else. And, and, and you said you're, you're right about one thing, Dennis, is that one person, if you can do it one time, save one person, it's amazing. It, yeah. it absolutely is, is amazing. You know, um, if you save one person who was in a burning car and you pull them out and you save that person's life, your, 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 your career is almost complete, right? I mean, mm-hmm. most people, most people are like, shit, I got to save someone's life. You're doing it in a different way by doing, by doing this with the, with the, with the trafficking and getting them out and getting them in the services. What are some of the organizations and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap on this. What are some of the resources that law enforcement has available to them? Maybe you can name some organizations that maybe administrators who are listening can get into their in-house system where they go, okay, if we run across this, we now know where to go with it and who to call. We already talked about HSI, but what other organizations are, are, are out there? Well, there's, you know, I mean, you also have FBI um, and, you know, and both FBI and HSI have victims, victim witness coordinators. Okay. Um, and they'll, they'll have the resources available. And, yeah. And, and they have much deeper pockets than most local law enforcement agencies. Um, you know, I worked in Montgomery County, which had pretty deep pockets, but it didn't have FBI pockets or HSI pockets. Um, so there's been funds set up to really, try to help the victims of human trafficking. Right. And then, and then there's, Phenomenal organizations spread all across the country. And obviously, I don't know them all. I know all the ones in Maryland. I know, you know, but there's always the National Human Trafficking Hotline that you can call and get attached to resources. You can call them up and say, hey, you know, I'm Officer Jones in, uh, you know, in New Mexico, you know, and uh, can you tell me who my local service providers might be for human trafficking? Uh, And they can, or you can Google it. I mean, yeah, I was just, I went to Kentucky a couple of weeks ago. And before I went there, I, I Googled who their service providers were and, and told them, said, Hey, this is who you guys have in this area. So, Great. you know, it's just hop on. I can do it on my cell phone. Like take me five seconds, Google it. And, um, but the, the human trafficking hotline is, is the number is one 888 And so you can call that 24 seven and, and get hooked. Hey, um, Tom, um, I think that we should do a, company-wide email to all our contacts. We have 100,000 links in our contacts uh, for emailing. This is probably best for you. Can you just put together an email with maybe just step-by-step instructions? Uh, we'll, we'll start the process of how to counter human trafficking, that number, and where they can find their local resources. And right. if you just give us how to do it, maybe we can have the staff here put something together. And we'll send an email out to at least have some kind of impact where maybe somebody gets it and says, oh, good, we have this. this is how we do it now. Hey, everybody, ComStat meeting Monday morning. Uh, we got an email from Street Cop Training. This is a number we can use. I know that we were talked about if we run into human trafficking, what do we do? This is a great place to start. Let's do something like that. That's a great move for us. 
Yeah, and there's there's different websites and stuff like that I can throw out there for like the National Center for Missing Exploited Children, which has a tremendous amount of resources um, for families and, and child sex trafficking, but also for pretty much every I mean every child of every type of exploitation. Um, yeah, good. Let's get that so, together. Well, listen, it has been again invaluable information, and the best part is this goes out to hundreds of thousands of people, and I've got a funny feeling that somebody's going to come across uh, this podcast, hear it and go out and maybe see it. If you want more of Tom's training, more in depth, check out streetcop.com where you can take one of Tom's classes. He's always out in the field training. Uh, what other contact information do you want to leave? And I would be very weary about putting my cell phone number across a national platform. <laughs> but if you want to uh, look to host Tom's training of interest in it, uh, you can email us info at streetcop.com or What's your email address to the company? Is it Tom Stack? Yeah, yeah Tom Stack at streetcop.com. And if you uh, if you want my cell phone number, you can take my class and then I give it to you at the end. And um, though you can always reach out to me on Facebook as well. Um, just shoot me an instant message and I'll, I'll get back to you. We can talk. I've helped uh, I've helped cops all over the country do human trafficking investigations. I just got you know a couple of months ago. I did a, a help a guy do a massage parlor case up in up in Pennsylvania. He had no idea what to do. Um, you know, uh, you know, or, or take the class, you know, the class is available on demand and, um, I'm going to be up in, uh, up in your neck of the woods, Dennis, up in Woodbridge in June, Woodbridge, New Jersey. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. Um, now, but, you know, just you know, check us out on the, on, on the website or, or hit me up on Facebook. You're a, you're a godsend and a gift to the world, Mr. Stack. Now, I don't know about that. Well, listen, man, we're all doing you know, our part, brother. Think about this when you're you know, and those final days of what you contributed to this world before you left. And it's significant. And don't forget that the work that you're doing is important. And, you know, I try to remind people that if you want more of this great work to be done, we do, we are a business. We have to procure the revenue to continue to grow it. Um, we're putting more people on staff to get more of this stuff out there and we're going to make it better. I, I just, I know we're going to look back on life's work and say we really had an impact and a change and you're certainly a part of it. There's no question about it. And I can't thank you enough for choosing me to stand side by side with and say, I'm here for it. Hey, I love it. I love the family. I mean, That's good. Yeah. It really is a family. And, and Nick and I talk about that all the time. And, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's special. I kind of wish I had something like this lean on back when I was still on. I'm, I'm just, I'm just proud to be part of it. And uh, proud to have you, man. I'm strong. Yeah. I'm proud to have you. I, I, I can't thank you enough. A thousand times over. All right, brother. All right, Mr. Stack, go back to work. Hi, be safe. I'll see you. Thank you.